Welcome to the Money is Emotional podcast with Christine Lukin, the Financial Dignity Coach. In this podcast, we help you recover a positive and peaceful relationship with your personal finances. We do this by bringing together wise money management with emotional intelligence. Join us for this journey where we navigate our relationship with money as Christine Lucan draws from years of experience and guest experts to help you get to the root of your money issues. Hello and welcome to Money is Emotional with your host, Christine Lucan. Christine, what's going on? Uh, well, as we were talking about just before we went live, I think I'm going to have to put my cat Marvin on a diet. All right. My is chunky it... monkey is a little too chunky. Okay. So <laughs> you said he's like 14 pounds and I, I, I have no, you know, equation to, to do the mathematics on cat fat versus dog fat. <laughs> and I just, cause I don't own cats. So you said 14 is a bit heavy. What should it the ideal weight heavy. for Marvin be? Um, I would say like usually like 10 to 12 pounds is That's... usually good. Now you're like, oh, he's only a couple pounds over, but a couple pounds on, I mean, he's like a bowling ball with a tail right now. <laughs> <laughs> is he in the room? Is he hearing this? I mean, I don't want him to, you know. No, I mean, I'll tell yeah. it to, I'll, I'll tell it to him to his face. And this yeah. is kind of punishment for him because he has gotten into the habit of when I'm in the kitchen, he will come up and nip me on oh. the back of the calves. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Marvin to say that he's hungry. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Have you tried shaving him? I mean, because that could take off at least six ounces. Maybe it's better. Okay. It's, Although, like I said, I don't know cats. Really so I, don't know the, I don't know the real protocol for, for cat diets. Uh, I guess shaving them is probably not a good idea. Well, uh, you have an amazing guest on the show today, and we, we got a chance to, to chat before yes. we hit the record button. But why don't you introduce him to the audience and tell me what you're talking about today? Yeah. So the title of today's episode is Generosity Makes You Rich. We're excited to welcome my friend and our special guest, Bob D. Pasquale, the generosity guy. Bob is a certified financial planner, a chartered advisor in philanthropy, a speaker, author, and podcast host. He's made it his mission to make a generous mindset the way people lead their personal, family, and business life. Welcome, Bob. Christine, how are you doing? I'm awesome. How are you? I'm doing great. It's a good day. I, it's great to talk about cats, too. I got a cat. He's about nine pounds, so I think he's in range. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't yeah, tell Marvin. You've I mean, got that, a good healthy one. You don't want to shame. <laughs> you don't want to shame Marvin. With sorry, no cat. shaming. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Marvin. <laughs> no cat shaming. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, we're not here to talk about cats as much as we love them. But, you know... Bob, I think with a lot of financial planners, they talk about generosity almost like as an add-on, you know, like an after the fact. But I love that generosity is not an afterthought for you or your leading energy in your life and with your financial planning clients. So tell us what started your obsession with generosity. Well, it saved my life, Christine. Generosity was something that uh, I knew what it was, but really didn't know the effect it could have on someone uh, until I was 18 years old. And at that time, uh, you know, I don't know if if you thought when you were 18, you were invincible, but I sure did. I didn't think anything could take me down. And I had 
quite an experience uh, at that point. I'd be glad to share the, the full story, but essentially uh, there were some things in my life that, that happened and people stepped in and helped me out when I was completely unexpecting it. And ultimately um, I, I overcame that scenario. And it really, ever since then, I, I've done my best to try to lean into generosity in my professional life and my personal life. Yeah, I'd like to hear, I'd like to hear the story. Sweet, let's do it. I love telling stories. Let's uh, do I, it. I appreciate the opportunity. So I mentioned I was 18 and uh, I was going off to college and uh, I, I grew up in South Florida for the most part. I was actually born in New York and uh, moved down here when I was three, still live here now. And my parents uh, kind of chased my grandparents down to South Florida, kind of you know the opposite of that you might think some families would do. They, they went to visit <laughs> once. Yeah, and, and they had so much fun, they enjoyed it. So anyway, I, I wanted to go back to New York for college, and I had an opportunity to do three things in college. And, uh, you know, I don't put them in any, in any order. I like to think my parents uh, might have thought education was most important, but I was going off to college to get an education, spend more time with my extended family that I did not grow up with, and then ultimately to play football. And I was in training camp playing football, and I thought I had what was a groin injury. Now, Another thing, uh, I, uh, another lesson that taught me that maybe I wasn't so invincible is I pulled a groin muscle. Now, I don't know if anyone's ever pulled a groin muscle. If you're listening out there and you've pulled a groin muscle, you probably know the inconvenience that this is. It you, doesn't you, sound pleasant. No, no. You absolutely <laughs> cannot run down a sports field, but you can't. It's, it's, it's hard to even walk, sit up, stand, twist. I mean, it just the, the basic oh. movements of everyday life to get around are very, very taxing. And so I would be doing this this exercise to rehab my what i thought was a groin injury now so picture me sitting on this three-wheeled stool shimmying myself across this college training room at like six o'clock in the morning before a training camp practice <laughs> there's a hundred people in this room this chaos i mean it's it, there's the noise the music the sound people getting treatment tape you know, icing, warming, whatever, all these different treatments. And here's the freshman kid from Florida that no one knows doing this stupid exercise, making a fool of himself. He can't even slide across the floor on a stool. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so one day the trainer, I've been doing this for like a week and it's not getting any better. And one day that the head trainer stands up. Now it's this commotion in the morning. It's very hard to get everyone's attention. This guy is probably five, six, you know, 140 pounds soaking wet, not a big guy. In order to get anyone's attention, he would have to stand on a box in the middle of the room and like cup his hands and scream. <laughs> so I'm not going to exaggerate anything today in this conversation, except for maybe this. It seemed like it got dead silent in the moment he stood on the box this one day and he screamed out, he yelled, he said, Bobby, that's what they called me back then. Bobby, Quit being a weakling. You have to get back out on the field. And wow, what a hit to my ego. I'm trying to prove myself to my coaches, my teammates, right? The, the trainers, who knows? And he calls me out in front of the whole the whole team, essentially, in the training room. So I felt like such a loser, but I said I, a little bit later, I said, Rick, listen, nothing's getting any better. Like, I need some something else. Like, get me off this stool. Have me do something. He goes, no, I'm going to send you to a doctor. So he sends me to uh, to a, to a doctor, and over a, a period of about a week, I, I was driving around Long Island, New York, going to all these different doctors' offices. Now I'm technically an adult at this point, but I had every test in the book, Christine. I mean, CAT scan, oh. sonogram, ultrasound, MRI, you name it, everything. And these appointments would take forever. I'd have to fill out all this medical information. I didn't even know the answer to any of these questions, you know, insurance and all that stuff. And they would take hours. Well. 
Finally, it was a Thursday and I had my last, what I thought was going to be my last doctor's appointment. And my parents had were scheduled to come up for my first ever college football game, which would have been Saturday, a couple of days after that. Now, we knew I wasn't playing in the game at this point. Right. <laughs> so I go to the appointment and I expect to be in there for like three hours. My parents are going to be flying that morning. And I, I walked in there and 30 seconds after I walked in there, they, they sent me back to the office, like immediately went back to the room. And the doctor walks in like less than a minute later, sits down at the desk, looks me in the eye and says, Bobby, you have cancer. What? And I, I looked at him. Yikes. My jaw hit the desk and I didn't say anything. I mean, I, I was just, I was at a loss for words. He says, don't worry, don't panic. We're going to hook you up with an oncologist and we'll be in touch. And I thought to myself, Oh my gosh. I'm like, I don't even know what an oncologist is. Like, what, oh what does gosh. that even mean? Like, can you spell it, please? Oh. Use it in a sentence. So I walk out of the office. That was it. I mean, he's like, you're free to go. I, I walked out. You're now, free to go. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Like, I'm in jail or something. <laughs> so I walk out of the building. Now, it's like divine timing. Like, I can't even explain this. The moment I walked out of this office, my phone rings. And it was my mother. And she expected me to still be in the appointment, but she she called me and she said, hey, uh, oh, well, we landed. I expected you to still be in the doctor's office. I was just going to leave you a message, let you know that we're here. How'd the appointment go? And I was like, uh, so, Ma, um, about that. And I had to tell her, obviously, what oh the doctor gosh. said. And, you know, Christine, it was it was like my mom was screaming, but it was dead silent all at the same time. Hmm. I bet she was screaming inside. I oh, mean, absolutely. Any mother would be. <laughs> absolutely. The only, the only thing that I could hear was my dad, who actually was yelling on the other side of the line. He was in the car with them. And he's like, Susan, you know, Susan, what's what's going on? Like, he could tell something was wrong by her reaction. Right. And so we were going to meet back at my uncle's house, my mom's brother, you know, who still lived in New York. And so we, we get over there. And I hadn't seen my, I mean, I'm a mama's boy, an only child. Like I hadn't never been away from home for this long. So I, I gave my parents a big hug. You know, we said some prayers, we shed some tears. We all kind of looked at each other like, what's going on? I mean, this is crazy. This is not what we expected. Yeah. So a couple couple days passed and now it's Saturday, which was the day of the game. Now, I, like I mentioned before, I wasn't playing in the game, but my uncle's best friend, my uncle's best friend comes over the house. And uh, we don't know the guy because we, you know, we live in Florida and we're in New York now. Mm-hmm. And he's he was there for a short period of time, but he walks over to my parents. And once again, remember, doesn't even know them. And he introduces himself. You know, hi, I'm Tim. And he reaches into his pocket and pulls out his keys. And he, he, I mean, it seemed like he shoved them in their face. It was just such an aggressive move. But he was like, Bob, Susan, I can't imagine what you're going through with your son. My parents' names, Bob and Susan. Take my car. You can use it for as long as you need it. I know you're going to be busy taking your son around to different appointments and things. I can't imagine what you're going through. Just just have my car. And, I mean, my parents were blown away. They didn't know what to say. And And I thought to myself, wow, that's the most generous thing that someone's ever done for me and my family. Yeah. And, And so... He was there, like I mentioned, for a short period of time, maybe 15 minutes, and he, he said goodbye to my aunt and uncle, and he left. I mean, that was it. He was gone. We're like, who is this guy? And my uncle was like, that's Tim. Did I expect him to do that? No, but he's just a really generous guy. So so that was that. 
And he left. And then a couple days go by. I, I did end up speaking with an oncologist who happened to be the the father of one of my my uncle's daughters. So my my cousin, her the father of one of her best friends. And so how I got hooked up with that's a whole other story. But he advised me to stay enrolled in classes or at least some classes. And this is a key part of the story because um, I went to my second ever college class on Tuesday morning. So now we're, you know, a couple days, a few days wow. after that Saturday. So I go to my second ever college class. I'd just been diagnosed with cancer, didn't know what was going on in life. And I came out of the class thinking, okay, you know, that was kind of a simple, you know, orientation type of thing. And I, and I was really hungry. So I went to the cafeteria and I, and I was eating like a breakfast burrito or something. And I'm watching the news. Now, do you remember like a tube television that would like hang in a public place, it, like on a oh, bracket? Yeah. It's on a bracket between the wall and the ceiling, and I'm watching the news. Now, I don't know the news station. I don't even watch the news. I'm 18 years old. I could mostly care less at that point in my life. And I'm sitting there watching it. That was just what was on TV. And all of a sudden, a plane crashes into one of the Twin Towers in Manhattan. Wow. And I'm thinking to myself. You were there. Yeah. I'm like, that's a terrible. That's a terrible accident. Like. You know, so I called my dad and he was still at my, you know, back at my uncle's house and we're talking for like less than a minute. And then bam, the other plane hits the other twin tower. And my dad was like, whoa, that's not an accident. You better hightail it back to your uncle's house. So that was the September 11th uh, terrorist attacks. Wow. So, you know, this story, uh, and I'll wrap it up here briefly, but, you know, this story is something... Christine, you know, that you just don't forget. Like I think about this time in my life all the time because there were so many events that happened in such a short period of time. And I, I hopped in the car and it took me nine hours to drive to my uncle's house. Now it was typically a 15 minute drive from my school wow. to my uncle's. And I, I subsequently got a, a, maybe we'll get into this later, but I subsequently had a, a master's degree in broadcast journalism and I worked in AM radio but I will never, ever listen to nine straight hours of AM radio again. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I don't I know did. that anybody wants to do that. <laughs> no, no. And some of you who are listening may not even know what AM radio is. But I listened to the whole thing, burning towers in, in the distance, oh gosh. listening. I mean, it was riveting what happened. And I, I ended up running out of gas in my uncle's neighborhood. Now, I can't imagine what I would have done if I ran out of gas on the highway with you know Ooh. all those people driving but we pushed my car into my uncle's driveway and i remember my aunt being hysterical because my uncle was on business the night before in denver and was supposed to fly home that morning oh well wow. finally he calls at like eight o'clock at night and he's like hey guys i'm really sorry i've been trying to get through i know you're probably panicking and frantic but i'm okay i'm alive i my my flight never took off I'm going to try to catch a flight tomorrow, but just want to let you know I'm okay. And we were going to hang up or my aunt was going to hang up, but he was like, no, hang on a second. I, you know, I love you, but I got to tell you something. So unfortunately my best friend, Tim, who came over on Saturday, who, you know, Bob and Susan and Bobby just met, um, he was in the towers this morning and he died. Oh my God. And so wow, we kind of looked at each other and we're thinking, man, you know, about a week ago, I thought I was invincible and was living my best life. Now I'm not sure if my life is over. Um, the world might be coming to an end, and Tim is no yeah. longer with us. 
Wow. So ultimately, I tell you this story because Tim worked for Cantor Fitzgerald, uh, you know, on, on a show dedicated to finances. You know, they are an investment bank and investment organization that some people may have heard of. So that's somewhat relevant. But uh, they were known for being a pretty generous organization. In fact, they gave office space to my uncle's foundation for cystic fibrosis, which is the disease my cousin has. And um, they gave free office space. And if you YouTube or Google or, you know, look up Howard Lutkin, their, their uh, director at the time, he was the only one that survived. And because he was supposed to taking his kid to school or something that morning, and he was typically in the office, but um, it's such a tragic story. And uh, I mentioned they gave office space to, to my uncle's foundation. Well, the only lady for who worked for the foundation that would typically be in the office that early, uh, her name was Tammy, but she was also uncharacteristically late, was caught in the mm-hmm. subway underneath the, one of the towers and ended up surviving. But, you know, we don't know ultimately how much time we have left here on earth. And, you know, that's not, I'm not the first person to say that. I'm not the first person to say that. But um, I, I tell you this story because, you know, Tammy's life was spared, but Tim's was not. And Tim was known for saying, we never know when our last chance uh, to be generous is for someone. So it's a little bit of a twist on the the more popular saying. And it just turns out that our family was the benefactors of Tim's last chance to be generous to someone. And I will never, ever forget that. Yeah. I just felt like all the hair on my arms stand up when you said you never know what you're last act of generosity is going to be and you don't so true you don't and and yeah. that's why so that's a really long-winded way of answering your question and that's why generosity has been an important part of my life for the past couple mm-hmm. decades yeah well you know it's it reminds me of a quote that i heard somebody say and they basically say you die three times there are three deaths there's when your soul leaves your body when your body is reunited with the earth, whether you're buried or cremated, and the last time your name is spoken on the earth. Mm. Wow. And so generosity has basically, I mean, how long ago was 9-11, right? You're still speaking Tim's name and telling Tim's story because of that generosity of him saying, take my car for as long as you need it. You know, I mean, he didn't know you guys. He didn't have to do that. I mean, that's just so awesome. And this is just like a perfect lead in to this next question. You know, you say that being generous makes everyone's life better. Like, it doesn't matter if you're the giver or just the onlooker. How does generosity benefit someone who's just observing it? Well, I, I got two answers for you. One is the anecdotal, more experience-based social media answer. And, you know, th- there's a lot of content <laughs> out there where people, if, it, it's entertaining, it's enjoyable, it makes you feel good to watch generous acts to see people do things. So I think most of us have experienced that before. You know, sometimes, you know, we, I talked about watching yeah. the news Part of the reason why I don't like watching the news because it is often negative. But when you get that positive story, it, it makes you feel good. And so I think there's mm-hmm. quite a bit of anecdotal evidence for most of us. You can see, you can experience it. You, you know that it just feels good to to be part of some a generous act. You know, whether that's an extravagant, you know, life-saving type of thing or even just, you know, opening the door for someone. I don't know if you've ever, I was in the supermarket the other day and 
there was a lady struggling to carry all her groceries. I don't know why she didn't have a cart. And someone helped her, you know, picked it up and grabbed a couple of things and brought it over to the register for her. You know, I was like, man, that was a really nice thing for that person. He easily could have just sprinted by her, you know, off on his own little world. So I think we've all experienced that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then scientifically, and, you know, more recently, I've spent a lot more time studying psychology and the science, uh, the science behind these sort of things. And a friend of mine, her name is Wendy Steele. I, I referenced this a lot, too. Uh, her, she has a TED talk. That's uh, man, it's probably 10, 15 years old now. So it's a lot closer to 9-11 than we are. And it has nothing to do with 9-11, but it always makes me think about this. And she talks about the hormone oxytocin. Now, if you're a mother and, and uh, you've given birth, you, you've definitely experienced quite a large hit of oxytocin. Uh, it's, it's a birthing hormone, hormone, but it's involved in more than just birth. It's uh, males can experience it too. And, you know, the, the bond between mother and children is so strong partially because of this. And so Wendy talks about the three parties of a generous act and that you referenced in your question. Uh, by the way, Wendy's the uh, the leader executive of Impact 100 Global, an organization that does great, great work helping women be generous in their community. But um, I just thought I'd mention that. But so she, she has plenty of credibility working the generosity space. But anyway, so oxytocin, it, it, you've received a gift before, you know, your birthday or the holiday season. So most people yeah. will, right? It feels good. Hey, they, they love me. They care about me. Plus, I get a really nice gift and I can use it, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Most people love being the receiver. A lot of people also like being the giver. That's, uh, you know, I think it's it's also proven, and I won't get into too much science here, but it's also proven that, that humans have a natural desire to be compassionate and giving. Um, the only stat that I'll give you is that if you look it up, uh, humans are have one of the longest nurturing periods for their young, which is proof that mm. we naturally desire to help and care for people. So you can look that up. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a couple other uh, interesting tidbits there but and then finally so that's the giver and then finally the there's it's also scientifically proven that a third party onlooker also receives that hit if you will of oxytocin when they experience Hmm. a generous act and that to me kind of blew my mind when i first heard wendy talk about that and it's so true that's and that's kind of the scientific proof of the anecdotal note that i made earlier when you just see it happen it's all it's 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 like it's contagious right yeah no, and just you telling the story of how generous Tim was with you, it was like, I felt that emotional hit, you know, it's like, just makes you want to spread the love and do something awesome for somebody else. Exactly. Love it. Love it. So that, that to yeah. answer your question, that's why it's just, it just scientifically proven that giving is a powerful force in multiple parties when they, when they experience it. Excuse me. Yes, you. Thank you so much for listening to the Money is Emotional podcast. We hope you're enjoying it so far. If you have any questions or would like to talk more about this topic, you can find us at www.christinelukin.com. And all of our social media platforms are listed in the show notes. Yeah. Many people freely donate their time but they resist giving money. What are people missing out on by not being generous with their finances? I think being generous with your finances is one of the most freeing activities you can do. Um, I, you know, working in the financial space, working with a lot of people, helping them manage their budget and you know save as much as possible. But there's nothing more powerful than giving. This is also a, you know, there's also psychology behind this too. Um, but I've noticed that the people who, 
do both. So when they mm-hmm. when they volunteer but also give financially, they're more likely to do more of each of those uh, because because it really helps you get involved. If you know that you have an investment, if you will, and that's and that's personally how I like to look at when I'm when I'm donating. I like to look at it as an investment in a good cause uh, and not just mm. a tax break, if you will. Right. Um, I, I was I was actually listening to your previous episode. Uh, I think it was a couple episodes ago with I believe her name was Lisa, and she mm-hmm. the, the tax specialist, and she was talking about you know tax. And don't get me wrong, Christine. I mean I love the tax numbers. I mean that's part of what I do for a living. <laughs> um, right. Right. And it's it's absolutely necessary. You should find yourself a CPA or a tax uh, an accountant who knows what they're doing. Um, but if you're only doing it for the tax break, you know then there's a then you're missing something for sure. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, You know, and I feel like for me, it helps me to keep a healthy balance in my money. It helps me from being too attached to the dollars. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my dad taught me, you know, in my early 20s, basically when I had hit rock bottom financially, he started talking to me about tithing. And I remember our discussion because I said, you know, I was, I was living in the, in his spare bedroom, right? I had thousands of dollars in debt. My credit score was probably negative. I had collections and he was trying to teach me about tithing. And he said, you know, there's always somebody worse off than you. And I said, you know, I don't have any money to give. I said, I'm homeless. My dad's like, you're not homeless. You're living in the spare bedroom of my house in a country club neighborhood. <laughs> you are not homeless. He said, let, let me drive you down to the inner city and we can see what homelessness actually looks like. And uh, so at the time, I had been starting to go to church with him, but I didn't quite trust the church yet with my money. So I decided, okay, yes, these people actually... You know, they were worse off than I was. I at least had a had a bed to sleep in and food on the table. And so that's when I started donating. I want to say it was maybe like 10 bucks every two weeks to the homeless shelter. But he really imparted that. And he said, this is part of your financial recovery plan. So he wasn't just teaching it to me as like, hey, this is a good thing to do he was teaching this to me as like, this is part of getting you back on your feet financially. Yes, it's saving money, you know, managing your spending, paying off this debt, but giving needs to be a part of it. And it's just, it's, it's amazing because it does help you keep this healthy perspective around money. And I think when people don't give money, when I see people who are making like really big incomes and they're hardly giving any money, my my feeling is like, you're missing out. It's not that I'm judging them for not giving, but I'm like, you don't know what you're missing here. Oh, wow, Christy, that's an awesome story. I, I totally agree with that. You know, they say that tithing is almost like the training wheels of giving. I've heard that saying before. Mm-hmm. And I mean... Talk about contagious when you when you when you realize when you lose when money loses its grip on you. I mean, it's such a powerful tool. Don't get me wrong. Like money is a you know money is absolutely a powerful tool, but it is just a tool, right? It's something that we can use in our lives to acquire things, and it's a you know it's a it's a means of payment. But really, if 
if we can release it and we can make other people uh, benefit other people with it, it makes us realize uh, that we don't need to hoard. And there's a big difference between savings um, and, you know, being uh, hoarding your dollars or being fearful, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And I, I've never had someone say, honestly, I've had some people say, you know what, I, I, I may not support that organization again, but I've never had someone say, you know, when I gave that money to that organization, it made me feel lousy. <laughs> it, it's, it's I've never gotten that. So, uh, you know, that's just my, you know, my proof um, that being generous with the dollar uh, is not just something that's good to do. It's also really right. good for your habits, like you just mentioned and your dad talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are some easy ways that people can start cultivating a habit of generosity, even if they're in a place where they feel like they don't have much to give, like maybe where I was 20 plus years ago? Well, I think first, as you mentioned, from a financial perspective, building it into your budget, you know, making it a line mm-hmm. item. Um, I'm a big fan of zero-based budgeting. I don't know if you've talked about that on the show before, but um, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be zero-based, but it should be a line item. Like there, zero-based yeah. meaning that every dollar has a purpose, and so yep. if so part of part of the purpose of the of the income that you have or the savings that you have should be even if it's like you said even if it's five or ten dollars a week or mm-hmm. ten cents I mean you know my wife's a kindergarten teacher and you'd be surprised how generous these young people are and they collect chapel offerings uh, for you know, different causes and the lessons I mean the things that come out of their mouth and the, and the care that they have for other causes is so powerful so um, if that doesn't tell you that it's natural for humans because even young people like they haven't even necessarily been trained in generosity so um, that's yeah. that's my first thought there but then also you know it, people who have good habits around generosity in my experience are excellent at relationship building and asking good questions. And so when people ask me like, what are some things that I can do to be generous? I mean, I could give you, there's a million websites. I give you a hundred different like specific actions like opening doors, please. And thank you. Um, you know, helping a neighbor when they're in need, caring for the sick, volunteering at your local homeless shelter. Like there's a lot of actions that you can take and I would be more than happy to share a bunch of those. But one thing I've found that, over the past, I don't know, maybe five or six years that I've really learned is that the, the people who really want to develop a, like a consistent habit of the giving mindset is to just ask people what they need. Like, I think it's almost becoming, you know, I don't want to say unacceptable, but like there's so much of social media and digital technology these days. It's all about, you know, hey, look at me. This is what I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. And we've lost yeah. this like we've lost this desire to know what other people are doing. And if you don't know what they're doing, you don't know what they need. And it's, it's so much easier to identify how you can help someone to be generous to them. If you know what's going on in their life. So just ask people questions. And, and if you become that connector, like this is one of the most powerful things in the world. So my, we have a friend of ours more recently that had some incredible health problems. Not, not a, not an old person by any means. Uh, that they're in mid forties, I would say. And this person had some terrible health issues, like one thing after another for like a six month period. Well, about I don't know, maybe four to six weeks into their illnesses, plural, I was like, you know what? It's got to be really hard for the family right now, traveling back and forth to the hospital. What if we just brought them a meal? So we brought them dinner one night and they were like so relieved. Like we could just tell that they're like, okay, it's one less thing that we have to do. 
and I'm not I don't say that to to you know pat pat my wife and I on our back for doing that but what word quickly spread like we just shared that a little bit and then I wish we had this idea but someone else did they made uh, like a Google document an online mm-hmm. you know an online thing and it was basically a, a meal train sign up so you could sign up for any day and so this person put it online before you know it they connected like 60 other families with this family in need and they fed them for they ended up feeding them for more than that because people would sign up for multiple days but the lesson is here is that being a generosity connector is like such a powerful thing like if you can be that person that kind of i don't want you to be gossiping around like what people in your community need but if you know the needs of people in the community like it you can't I got to be clear with this. You can't be a giver in every situation. You can't be the only one who's constantly pouring in other people. Like resources are limited. But if you can be the person that can connect those people, even if you don't have a lot of resources, I guarantee you'll build generous habits just by being that person. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's a good point. Um, I think sometimes people shy away when they see a big need because there's like, there's no way I can fill that. You know, and and I also think that's the benefit of being connected to larger organizations like, you know, the church that I attend, one of the things that I love about them and the reason why I am so happy to donate to my church is because of all the different initiatives that they do. You know, it's like they're taking care of kids for Christmas. They're feeding people for Thanksgiving. Um, you know, anytime there is any sort of natural disaster, they're loading up trucks and sending them down. And it's because there's thousands of people who are giving on a consistent basis that these needs can be met. So, um, yeah, I love that you brought up that point that it's like, we don't have to do this together and generosity can actually, you know, bring a community together around someone to help them through a hard time. 100%. Awesome. Well, so we kind of touched on this a little bit. Maybe we can talk briefly about this because you and I are actually like new friends. And we connected over (laughs) my LinkedIn post about two types of generosity. And, you know, we've kind of already talked about the consistent generosity, you know, consistent generosity and spontaneous generosity. And... I think I know why these two are important, Um, but why do you think that people need both, that they need to have some consistent organizations that they support on a regular basis, but also have that ability to do some spontaneous giving as well? Well, I'm a spontaneous person, so I think it's just kind of fun, first of all. (laughs) I think it's cool to have and when when you're really in that mindset i think it's a lot easier to be spontaneous with your generosity uh, and, and we have talked about the planning I, i'm super focused on teaching organizations how to be intentional about a generous culture but i do realize that the importance of the spontaneous aspect of it i, I think the spontaneous giving mindset or, or spontaneous gifts and actions are really a result of having it consistently there because it just, you know, when those opportunities come up, you're like, man, I wasn't expecting this one. This is a bonus. So, <laughs> right. I mean, think about it. I Let's, love that. Right. I love that perspective. Cause most people are like, Oh God, somebody else needs money for me. <laughs> right. What an opportunity. <laughs> but you're like, no, all right. I get to, I get to give, I get to help this person with this broke down car or the fact that they can't pay their rent or whatever. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, think about it, if you, especially if you have it budgeted, right? If you have it budgeted, mm-hmm. and, you know, and you know that you this is what you have set aside to, to, you know, to support people, make sure some of it is for spontaneous giving financially, right? I mean, yeah. if, if, if you're a big fan of, of something, some activity that you really like doing, and you plan and you do it once a month, and you know it's coming, that's great. But what happens if you suddenly another opportunity arose and you got to do it twice this month? That feels really good. Now, imagine if that was your giving mindset. That's how important those little, those additional, I hate to keep coming back to the hormones, but those additional experiences with those giving hormones um, can really lift mm-hmm. your day. I mean, they can change your yeah. whole day. Yeah. Well, I've heard that oxytocin is is nicknamed the cuddle hormone. It's like that feeling that you get when you get a big hug from somebody you love or your kid, or even if you're snuggling with your cat or your dog, right? It's that warm, fuzzy feeling inside. So, yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, no, why wouldn't no, we want that both consistently and spontaneously? Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't matter how heavy your cat is. It still feels good right. when you cuddle with that. <laughs> I mean, actually, it is It is kind of nice to get a more substantial hug. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Actually, that's a really good point. <laughs> Maybe, maybe maybe I should start feeding my guy a little bit more. I don't know. Anyway, that's funny. <laughs> uh, well, I'm sure that you and I could talk about generosity for probably three or four more hours, but we don't have that much time left. So do you have any parting words of wisdom for our audience today relative to generosity? Well, I would just echo what Tim said. It sticks in my mind. You never know when your last opportunity to be generous to someone is. So take advantage of them. And if it is one of those spontaneous things, all the better. All right. So audience, in summary, you know, the most giving people, I think, are the most fulfilled and ultimately successful and happy. Generosity does make us rich. It makes us spiritually, emotionally, and yes, I would say financially rich. I mean, I don't feel like I have ever missed out because I've given, you know, I always feel like it's, it's come back in some way. So highly recommend you get out there and be generous. And if you'd like to connect with Bob, you can do so on his website. It is his name, bobdpasquale.com. Connect with him on LinkedIn. He's active on there. And also be sure to check out his podcast, speaking of impact. And so we're going to have all of those links right there on the show notes for you guys. Bob and Christine, this has been fantastic. I love where the conversation came to, you know, at the close of this or really close to the close of this, because, you know, planning generosity, it's, it's like you're practicing, it's a muscle memory. And then the spontaneous generosity, like you said, it becomes more apparent when you can do it, 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 it comes to your vision quicker because you've already practiced it. It actually brought a, a quote um, that I, I heard a long time ago. I looked it up real quick because I wanted to share it. Um, it would make a great tattoo, except for the fact that it's really long, uh, <laughs> a little bit long for a tattoo, but I, I just want to tell it because I think it, it's very apropos to this. It makes a lot of sense. So a fight is going on inside me, said an old man to his son. It is a terrible fight between two wolves. One wolf is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The other wolf is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight is going on inside you. 
The son thought about this for a minute and then asked, which wolf will win? The old man replied simply, the one you feed. Mm, Perfect. I love it. Yeah. I think it's practicing just like you both said. And I appreciate both of you so much for this podcast, Bob, you are a great guest, Christine. Thank you so much for hosting this and bringing this podcast to light. I mean, this is, you wanted to do this to reach an audience and, uh, you've got a great audience now. And so I, I just appreciate being a small part of this. Thank you so much. Hey, I'm, I'm happy to be here. We're all happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And we're very happy you're here listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the money is emotional podcast with Christine Lucan. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below this way. When Christine comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it and leave a review as this actually does help others find the show again. Thank you so much for listening today for everyone at money is emotional. This is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Money is Emotional podcast. To get in touch, visit our website at www.christinelucan.com or drop us a line at hello at christinelucan.com. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Christine Lucas. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing or tax advice. Always seek the advice of your advisor, tax professional, or other qualified financial professional with any questions you may have regarding your personal finances.